What's up, everybody? It's the Disgruntled Sailor here. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Rowdy Sailors. It's a lifestyle brand for the Rowdy Sailor and all of us. It's also active duty owned and operated. They're putting out some cool stuff from t-shirts, flags, hats, tumblers, even stickers. Make sure you go check them out. Their Instagram handle is at Rowdy underscore Sailors and go support one of your own. Make sure you tell them the Disgruntled Sailor sent you and start living that Rowdy lifestyle. The views expressed on the Disgruntled Sailor podcast are exclusively our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of any member nor the view of the United States Coast Guard. Furthermore, the podcast does not have any association with nor endorsement from the Coast Guard. We're just two individuals who happen to be in the military, expressing our own personal views and opinions. So sit back, relax, crack a cold beer, unless you're underway, then next watch motherfucker. to another episode of the Disgruntled Sailor podcast. Here is part two of The Aviator. Um, so, obviously, your guys' primary function is search and rescue with the exception of Hitron, right? Um, yes. So, if you don't mind, if you're comfortable with it, would you give us a, a SAR story that is cool or that, like, impacted you or something that was out of the norm? Like, give us just a... You know, you have you have something for us. Yeah, I got uh, a couple of couple of SAR stories. Uh, I, I said one, one. <laughs> All right, well, let, me pick, uh, let me pick a better one. I'm just fucking with you, man. I got I got all kinds of stories. Uh, no, one uh, one good one. We went out. Uh, there was a float plane crash uh, that we responded to. It was actually us and another helicopter. We took two swimmers with us, and because of where they had crashed, um, we couldn't couldn't land and get to them. So it was a pretty high hoist to get the swimmers down to them. Then they had to hike. Then we went around, landed in a clearing, waited for them to package everyone up. <coughs> Ugh, excuse me. Then uh, when it was time for us to come back in, we landed the helicopter with our tail wheel in the water. Then we picked up two survivors in the litters, picked up our swimmers. We took off. The other helicopter came in, landed, picked up their survivor, came back. And while we were flying from there back to the unit, uh, one swimmer was triaging one guy, our other swimmer was triaging the other guy. And I was sitting there uh, holding, basically holding this guy's head together with my hand. He's like, put pressure on that. I was like, do what? He's like, put pressure on that. Hold it. I was like, like grab the guy's hand, like try to keep him awake. I was like, okay, cool. So, yeah, kept that guy awake. Uh, then a couple, couple weeks later, that guy's daughter tried like friended me on Facebook. Like, hey, thank you for saving my dad's life. You know, it was three people. We we picked up two. The other helicopter picked up one. And yeah, That's swimmers cool. swimmers all got achievements yeah. out of that, and none of us got anything out of it. And I'm not swimmers. at all butthurt at all. When you say a high hoist, like what's a what's considered a normal height for a hoist uh well when we're hoisting to a boat it's usually from like 30 to 40 feet um if we're doing like a vertical surface type rescue it'll be anywhere from like 80 to 100 feet and this one was almost at 200 which is pushing the limits of the hoist cable what's that in fathoms Mm, how many feet was it how many feet was it uh almost 200 feet divided by six anyone 
I went to public school. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know a fathom six what is feet. Was it two um, hundred divided by six? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it was almost two hundred feet. I was getting towards the end of the cable. So, Thirty-three fathoms. So that one, that one was a pretty gnarly case. And then one that wasn't quite as gnarly, but it was actually the dark and stormy night. We took off, had to go. We're trying to go land at like a fueling cache so we could get fuel to make it to one of these islands where these people were. Tried to get in, couldn't make it. Turned around, tried to get in again, couldn't make it. So like, all right, we got enough fuel to get there and we're going to have to get fuel after we pick this guy up. So we landed, picked up this heart attack patient and his wife, got him in the helicopter, went somewhere else, landed, got fuel. It's middle of the night, shitty weather, cold as fuck. And I'm sitting there like, we're fueling up, doing three flight on the helicopter. And like, it's just this dude and his wife sitting in a cold, dark helicopter with no electricity in it. So like you had this dude who had a heart attack, you went and picked him up and then you were like, you know what? I know this is an emergency, but I need fucking gas. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we can pick him up and we can, you know, make it halfway back and crash in the water, or we can land and get gas and make it all the way back. So we landed, got gas. You know, we can hear the C-130 flying overhead because it was pretty far offshore that we had to go. So they were our top cover. So like talk shit about the fixed wing guys, but they are pretty awesome when it comes down to it. And they provide top cover for us. And I really appreciate what they do. What do you mean yeah. top cover? So, like an MPA. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just like, so like eyes. Yeah. So when you get far enough away, like it's hard for us to get radio comms because we're flying lower. So they fly up higher. We relay to them where we are. They relay to us. Okay. Okay. Relay okay. It to whoever. So we land. We get fuel. Guy and his wife sitting in the back of the helicopter. We take back off middle of the night. We fly back, then do a wing wing transfer to life flight, and then they hops into an airplane. They fly him off to other parts of alaska and then we went shut down it was oh. it was literally the dark and stormy night kind of thing that everyone talks about and we is that the one yeah that was the one where we kind of got a little bit of a tailwind coming in for landing and almost got a little squirrely but yeah everything my, turned out right i'm still here so yeah my my worst star case was also in a helicopter um we were going out for a duck flight because i I volunteered for all of them. You know, I was, I, I was gung ho and I was like, yeah, dude, I'll fucking do that. And we were on our way to the area where we we're going to do the duck flight. And we actually got diverted. So there are two pilots, a flight mech, a rescue swimmer, and then myself. And we got diverted to a catamaran that had tipped over uh, due to high winds. And the rescue swimmer goes down and like, I, we're on our way and the flight mech turns on. He's like, Hey, we're going to Sarkis. Just sit there and don't fucking move. And, <laughs> Uh, I was like, that's basically how my duck flight went. Yeah, I was like, okay. And um, I happened to I happened to know the flight mech. It was an AMT two, and the rescue swimmer was an AST three. And I knew both of them. We hang out, we drink beer together. Uh, they both know me. And um, I was more kind of like what I was on the on the ship. Like I'm I'm a yeah I'm a fireman, but I do a lot more than just a fireman. So one away, he's like, hey, it should be a quick snatch and grab. I was like, okie dokie. So it turns out the catamaran flips over. It's got netting in the middle. It's a, um, a uh, like an 18 year old, 18, 19 year old kid. And he's got like his nine year old sister with him. And they're out on their parents' catamaran, small, like 20 foot catamaran, three pontoons netting in between them. It flips over. AST goes down first. And the first person he gets to is the little girl who is unconscious and non responsive because she got trapped with the netting. Sends her up 
uh, in the basket. And the flight mech pulls her in, takes her out of the basket, and puts her down and goes, you're CPR trained, right? And I said, technically. And he goes, do <laughs> He goes, do CPR. And I look down at her and she is blue as the ocean. Like I, I look at him and I look back at her and I'm like, I think I'm like, dude, she's dead. And he's like, do CPR. I was like, okay. And I'm doing my compressions, my breaths, compressions, com- my breaths, my pressures. It felt like I was doing it for eight hours, you know, and the pilots are doing their thing. Flight mech is ignoring me. He's like, just keep doing your thing. He, he would look back every once in a while. Sends the sends the boy up. He's alert and active. Then the AST comes up last. And like, so the little girl ended up dying. She was dead when she came up. I didn't know that. And it was explained to me later on that, you know, hey, fireman, Mr. Miami, um, while we know she is dead, you are not you are not authorized to clinically determine someone as deceased. So until yeah, someone you gotta try. Yeah, so until someone that is certified to deem her deceased, you have to continue to try to resuscitate. So I had to do CPR on this dead eight, nine-year-old girl for like – it It probably was only a couple minutes, like five, six minutes. I don't know the hoist times. It felt like fucking forever, you know, and it was just – You're not very, dead until you're warm and dead. Yes, and it was it was just very like surreal and like, you know, it just – you know, think about it every once in a while. It was just a very, very like, you know, the, the command master chief pulled me in with the captain and the XO and was like, hey, this was very rare, extreme circumstance. Like you did, you did a very good job. Your exemplary coast, we'd love to like, you'd make a great airman, you know, blah, 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 blah. It was just a very weird, like, this doesn't happen. We don't normally take untrained humans and make them do that. But because of the certain scenario that we were in, you were placed in an exemplary fucking situation. It was just a very unsettling SAR case for me personally. You know, that's gnarlier than any of my SAR cases. Yeah, it's like you were like just a bench warmer, and then you like never expected to play in the game. Yeah. you know, and they're like, "Tag, you're it." Yeah. Hey, Babe Ruth is sick. You're up, and uh, it stuck with me for a long time. Like, I know you guys can see it, but like, you see this butterfly that I have tattooed on my arm right here? That was actually on her shirt. She was wearing a pink shirt with that butterfly on it. That's and, cool. Yeah, it was. It's just like a, you know, I had a, a one of my one of my chiefs I talked to later on. He's like, that's gonna, you know, that's one of those ex- experiences where you don't want to experience on purpose and you don't want to wish it on anybody else, but you're gonna learn from that and you're gonna be glad later on that you had it. It took me 10, 12 years to be like, you know, obviously I'm not glad she died, but it. It, it gave me a better perspective later on. Like I've, I've, I've told that story many, many times to many, many people. And I would admit when I was younger, I said it to sound cool piece of shit, never claimed to be not a piece of shit. But now that I'm older and I look back on that and I go, man, that was some shit. If someone had to be there, you're glad it was you that went I'm, through that. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, yeah. So I, I know the other non-rates that I was with, and I know a lot of people that I was stationed with. A lot of people would be like, no, nope, nope. No, not doing that. Not happening. And I just, you know, it. I liked personally that the AMT two was like, look, man, hey, like he pulled me aside. We were cool. He's like, all joking aside, he's like, you, 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 you didn't do it, but you did it. You know, you didn't save your life, but you did the thing that was necessary at the time, even though it was a shitty situation. 
you know, so that stuck with me for a long time. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Um, we're going to go away from somber and I'm going to talk some shit. Um, let me take a sip of beer so I can lubricate my vocal cords before I talk shit. Oh, Jesus. So I have a question. Why come every time you guys fly, you think you deserve a medal? Go ahead. Your turn. It's true, though. I was stationed at a fucking air station when I was a third class, and aviators get all the fucking awards. Like, it's just fucking candy. So I Oprah giving out fucking cars. I know I've said it before. Like, I helped deliver a baby one time, and I got... You did your job. I rescued three people offshore out of parameters in a vessel that I was not supposed to be in. You know, like if for those of you boatmates that are listening, I was in a 24 SPCS SW, which is your special purpose craft shallow water. Parameters for that are six feet max, right? I'm qualified on that boat. Oh, really? Same Z's. Yeah. And <laughs> I took it in nine, t- eight, nine, ten footers, easy. Two BM2s and myself. You know, we saw an opportunity. We weren't supposed to be doing it. We weren't supposed to go out. Other assets were in route, but we were close, and we fucking, we went balls to the wall, and we fucking did it. You know, and when I got back, they're like, Master Chief was like, hey, parameters are six feet, motherfucker. He's like, Master Chief, I pulled three dudes out of the water. The news was there. He goes, you were out of parameters. And the cox is like, I know I was out of parameters. I did that on purpose. And, you know, instead of getting, hey. That's a good coxswain. Instead of giving me like kudos or an award for pulling three people out of the water or helping deliver a baby and getting an award, I got that's your job, dickhead. So now you yeah, go and you fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you go. Don't tell me why you guys get awards all the time. Well, no, I, yeah, I, re- I remember telling that story. I'm glad you brought that story up. And I think your anger is in the wrong place. You shouldn't be mad at us. You should be mad at your master chief for not recognizing the awesome things that his people are doing. So I think that might be the reason why we get them because our pilots, our pilots know that yes, we rely on award points, and when someone does something you know truly exemplary, they should mm-hmm. be recognized for it. So now I will say, I will say before you guys say anything else that when the when the aviators are called, it's gotten to a level where oper- boat operators cannot physically do it. Okay, there's things that aviators yeah. can't that boat operators just physically cannot do. I totally get that. You know, you got search patterns over land. Thanks a lot, OSs. Yeah, you fucking pieces of shit. Dan, if you're listening, <laughs> eat a dick. Um, <laughs> so, like, I know there's, like, like when I'm on the 47 or the 45, and an HIV, not an HIV, I'm sorry, like a tanker or a crab boat needs somebody taken off, that's not a boat operator's purview. Um, so there's, what you guys are called is usually the shit. But in my personal experience, I have seen that aviators get more accolades for doing like, all right, let me, let me paint a picture. So you got, you got a bosun mate, an MK, you got a GM, you got, um, who else is at a station? Um, Emmys. Those guys are boat crew guys. They're standby boat crew guys. Their job is to respond to search and rescue. Star alarm goes off. They go out, they respond to search and rescue. They either save somebody, save the boat, tow the boat in, whatever help, regardless of the level. Rarely, and I mean, I saw one achievement medal for a SAR case when I was at my last station, and that was because an F uh, an FWC officer got shot fucking like five times, all right, at point blank range by a subject. That was an achievement medal, an achievement medal. Now, 
why is that so the the boat operators expectation is you respond to SAR cases for boat small boat level operations your guys's job is to respond to higher level aviation SAR cases why is the boat community and before you say it's leadership because i already know that fucking answer i want a better answer than that why is it that when a bosun mate an mk a gm or an me goes out for a SAR case and save someone's life it's you did your job thank you uh next watch but when an aviator goes out it seems you know just like everybody knows in the coast guard it's perception Aviators seem to get more accolades for doing the required job of their billet. Well, I think just off the top of my head, just think about this while you say it. I think also a lot of what it comes down to is for like the BM or the MK, mostly it's at a station. It's a all enlisted crew. So who's going to write it? It's going to be another enlisted person like XPO or like the one LT, someone who's already got like a dozen other collaterals. And then maybe that's something like, well, I got to do all of this and this and this. And I also got to try to church up somebody's SAR case and make it sound like a dope award. Whereas ours are typically written by like the AC or the co-pilot and their job is pilot. And then they got one, maybe two other collaterals. They got a lot of office work, so they've got a lot of time to do that. And just being officers, they're good at writing stuff, making it sound pretty dope. So I, I, mean, I, I just, will. that's just my speculation, but I think I, that might play into it a little bit. And also the the boat operators guys like that is their boat i mean there is their primary job a lot of what i mean a small amount of what we do is fine the biggest part of our job our primary job is aircraft maintenance yes we do have to have flight qualifications but most of what we're doing is in the hangar making sure that the planes are airworthy so we do stand duty occasionally and occasionally we do stand duty occasionally well, <laughs> I stand duty occasionally because I'm an E6. So I don't get to do it as much anymore. The E5s, they get to stand all the duty and have all the fun. But yeah, I think the, the flight portion is a collateral. Our main job is aircraft maintenance. So I, maybe that is part. It's just my speculation. I will say that in my experience uh, with officers, aviation officers are a whole other different breed of officers. Oh, yeah. And they generally, they like, Every officer that I had when I was at the air station genuinely gave a shit. Like they knew my name. They knew who I was married to, who my kids were. They took a genuine interest in who I am. And I'm not just another fucking QPR or billet that I'm filling in. You know, I, I, I think that has something to do with it. Like, you know, you have the mindset of a master chief or a senior chief, you know, going, we are, we are lifesavers. That's why we're here. That's your job. Enjoy. And aviators, I think, have a different perspective as, look, dude, we trained for this. We did it. We're a crew. We went and we saved, We made an impact. We saved someone's life. I think that's, uh, you know, as much as I want to talk shit about it, I think that's why you guys benefit a lot more with, when it comes to your awards and stuff like that. Um, I also think it's probably because we're smaller, like our like aviation, one being smaller, and then the various communities with aviation, like, the 60 community or the 65 community were smaller. Like I've got a pilot here that I'm very good friends with. It was a prior bosun mate went OCS. Now he's a pilot. We hang out all the time. Like our wives are friends. Is he dumb? I think he's just, no, he's actually a pretty smart guy. That's probably, that's probably why he's not a bosun mate anymore. Okay. I was about to say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I can't talk too much shit. Cause uh, a good buddy of mine listens to this. He's a OIC and he's a bit, he's a bosun mate chief. I have but, a, I have a yeah, bosun mate I, chief I friend. Yeah, I do too. I'll shoot on both mates. I'll shoot on every rate. Yeah. 
Even um, our own. I have a bus maker. No, I think uh, part of it, you know, being a smaller community and, you know, we're all flying in the same helicopter. So they're in the front, we're in the back. If some, if shit goes wrong, you know, that just means that that guy is going to hit whatever, you know, a half second before I hit it and die. So, I mean, you kind of, and then we're on the helicopter where it's not like, oh, yes, sir. No, sir. Like, oh, commander. It's like, we're generally on a first name basis. You, you guys are more around. of a, you're more of a team than you are. Oh, three, Oh, two, E six, E five kind of deal. You know, you're, yes, you're, you're, you're more and of it a, goes back to, crm like our crew resource management like i know you guys being on boats boards are a big thing we don't mm -hmm. do boards for our qualifications but i think it's because we have our syllabi so there's things that you're supposed to be able to do like emergency procedures that you have to know off the bat but then like oh what would you do in this situation what would you do in that situation like well we're we're at the minimum a four-man crew hold so like oh what would you do I, I i have other people that i can bounce ideas off of hold the fuck on Please tell me you misspoke when you said there's not a board for your qualifications. For our qualifications, we don't have a board. You have your syllabus. You do the things that you're required to do in the syllabus. Prove that you can prove that you can operate radios. Prove that you know what your EPs are. So if there's a fire or if there's smoke or whatever, you know how to handle that emergency procedure. But anything beyond that, like oh, we're going out to say, you know, we got this guy with a broke leg, and then it's the seas. So you talk amongst the crew like all right how are we gonna do this all right so is that an amber alert yeah all right so maybe you do have a board but it's not a formal board like me and mr yeah. may are used to to get your sign off do they ask you a shit ton of questions just to get the sign off or is it do they go over it with you and then just sign it off real fast I guess, yeah i guess so so we have the syllabi and there's different events. And then what you'll do is you'll sit down with an instructor and do like a ground phase and you know, he'll ask a bunch of questions. And then as long as you know it and it's like, all right, cool. You know all that. Let's go flying. And all then right. it goes to the next one. Okay. But it's not like you're sitting, not like we used to do like at the boat station where it's like, all right, it's time for like your, your boat crew board. So it's going to be like a coxswain and some other boat crew <laughs> and you're going to sit in a room with them for a couple of hours and they're just going to grill you over shit. Like, I can't, you do in this I situation? What would cannot, you do in that situation? I cannot believe I didn't know that. Um, yeah, me either. Second, because going second. back to CRM, because we just we're working continuously as a crew. Like, okay, I think we well, should do this. Like, oh, hold on, let's let's work let's work mm -hmm. it a different way. Like, oh yeah, that makes way more sense. All right, so, well then I'm printing off my um, flight mech PQS and I'm gonna get it signed off. I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> oh, you got to get aircrew qualified first. You can become an AMS and do that. What's AMS? Aviation Mission Specialist. How do how do I do that? I bet you can't do it. You want to fucking bet me? I'll take leave and do I'll it. Get, what's that? What's the average qual time for that? Ooh, I haven't gotten anyone AMS qual in a very long Give time. Give me like a rough estimate in months. Mm, well, there's a lot of shit. You got to go to the dunker. You got to do the sweatshirt. Already been to the already, CRM. Already been what's to up? the dunker. Rough, rough estimate. Mm, that one you could probably do in like a month or so. In. I'm, All in. Right, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'll give you four months to get it. What do you, What do I win? AMS syllabus. I don't know. You get to go flying. All right. I'm gonna go tomorrow when I get to work. I'm gonna look us up, and I wanna. I'm gonna look at it and see if it's fucking feasible. Do I get ATC, if, ATC Mobile uh, portal page? If I get it, if stand branch, and they have it on there. If I get qualified ASM, do I get flight crew wings? 
you get to wear them temporarily while you're doing it. And then once it's, I believe 200 <laughs> flight hours, rotary wing or 400 hours fixed wing, you get them permanently. Dude in, in, what it, in. how long does it take to get your basic air crew? Basic air crew. It can take anywhere from like, I got it done in four months. There's people that drag their feet and make it take longer, but I got it done in four months. Dude, I, see I got a buddy at the air. I got a buddy. You can get their fucking air crew wings first. Well, considering I can fit in a <laughs> flight suit, and you can. I bet I can get it before you. All right, let's move on. Next, um, serious question: Why come aviators allowed to have patches on their helmets, stickers on their helmets, patches on their fucking shit, and we're not allowed to have any of that? You have patches on your boat crew helmet. I synced it. And first, you also of all, have patches on your body armor. First of all, first of all, on my helmet, one hundred percent against commandant policy. Anything other than the specific uh, patches that come from KDH from our sole source body armor is unauthorized. So I was wearing an unauthorized patch on my body armor and unauthorized patches on my helmet. Why are aviators allowed to wear you know whatever the fuck they want, and we are not? Why come? Ooh. This is a good one. I'm glad you asked this. I was ready for this question. So first off, uh, the flight suits, why we get to wear our unit patch on our flight suits. Well, first of all, since you brought up flight suits, why do you get to wear a flight suit? Because it's made out of Nomex and it's fire retardant. So are ODUs. Mm, I don't know. Because, mm. this is, because that's what's specified for us to wear. So Although I don't wear a flight suit. I wear a dry suit because it's cold water here. You wear you wear a Kamek? The Switlick dry suit, the big oh. orange and black one. Fancy. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, the reason for the flight suits is because they're fire retardant. But are yes. ODUs not fire retardant as well? Why is it allegedly? That, allegedly, allegedly. So, like, we wear ODUs not because after you wash them for fifteen years. Yeah. Well, well have them fifteen years, but after you wash them for four years. Now, I will say. If I could get away with wearing a flight suit, I would do it in a heartbeat because they are comfortable as fuck. Oh, the um, ATC stand guys are wearing the new two-piece flight suits, and those things look fucking sick. Really? Two a two-piece flight suit. It's got a Nomex pant and like a Nomex zip-up thing, and it looks like one flight suit, but it's Oh, is that is that the thing that looks like a jacket that I see people wearing? We sometimes? have those jackets, but they have like the two-piece one with like the zip-up here, which is great for when you have to take a dump so you don't have to go like <laughs> dump to like unass like your entire wardrobe oh you don't have to take your body armor off and then shit over the fucking <laughs> that happened one time <laughs> one time i just yeah. like anyway, it, the, it, the, the reason why we get to wear the patches is because uh it says so in manual the process guide 85 tag 00 tag 310 alpha the aviation life support system process guide it specifies <laughs> that uh we get to wear it that was specific you like, get to I wear got... are you saying like the unit patch on the flight suit yes you can wear nothing, or pilots and air crew can wear a unit patch. Rescue swimmers can wear a unit patch or the rescue swimmer patch. So that's what, why we get to wear. What What about the helmets? Because I've seen like the helmet. I've seen like patches like "Stop screaming, I'm scared too." I've seen you know like. <laughs> well, we have we have the Velcro on there. One so the MVG pack, battery pack on the back, and then there's one on the front for the Firefly strobe light, and. Uh, yeah, I have a small team patch for my college team on the front, and I have a dope ass uh, Top Gun patch on the back. Like college football, college football, inverted. college football. Yeah. What's what's your team? Yeah. Auburn. Ew. Yeah, you, I know. Do your parents know you're gay? 
you they, actually, they raised me this way. You and actually I'm went super, to Auburn, and I'm you? super pissed that they raised me to be an Auburn fan. I just think like yeah. so like if I go out on a boarding, yeah, I, like I, I have the patches on my helmet and they're not authorized, probably not authorized. So like but, I yeah, I would go I out. Wear them on there. I had on the top of my helmet, I had an infrared um, American flag so that the, the bridge could see me with MEGs. I had on my back of my helmet it says "Beer Drinking Infidel." I had um, on my body armor, I had my Thunder Horse patch. You know, um, none of them were authorized, but like, you know, it was. Oh, what about the public perception? And what about this? And what about that? And like, why does the patch that I wear on my body armor on a boat chasing chasing drugs? Why is that important? But why, when the aviators show up and land on my helicopter or land their helicopter on my ship? Why do they get to wear whatever the fuck they want and no one says a fucking word? Like, it's an accepted thing. Why is that a thing? Thanks, because we're not being seen as much. Because when we're landing on the boat, you're the guys that are seeing us. I mean, if we're doing if there's anything else, they're they're not really seeing us in the helicopter. I guess my now, question is... We are is, supposed to kind of keep it classy. Our last CEO got super pissed at one guy because he had a patch of a circuit breaker that said, pull out for safety. And he was not <laughs> happy about that. We all got like talking that. to him. So it's kind of like We're one like, of the what? It's the circuit breaker. You pull it out when you're going to do maintenance, so you're safe. It totally makes sense. It's like, oh no, no, no. no. So it's, you guys are kind of on that program where like, keep it classy and we'll let it go. But if you push it, we're yeah. going to fucking say something. So it's yeah. you, you guys technically aren't authorized to do the helmet shit, but it's an accepted thing that people do. Yeah. Like, like most people tend to take like a flight suit name tag and put it on the back just to yeah easier like, visibility. Like my my specific gun belt I have set up for pursuit is not a standard belt. It's it's got a high speed gear, um, like padding. It's got it's it's just not an authorized belt. There's very rarely anything on my belt that's authorized. And it's one of those things where like the captain sees it and goes, "I know that's not authorized, but you're being professional and it looks okay, and you're going to do the king's business. So like, go do the king's business." Is it like kind of like one of those things? Yeah, I mean, okay. there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we've got people that have all kinds of like funny type patches on the back. Uh, one guy has a Ric Flair patch on the back of his helmet. That's pretty. Woo! Cool. Um, yeah, there's the the White Goodman patch of uh, it's like it's at the bottom it says like Air Crew, and the top says We're better than you, and we know it. What? So, yeah, that's our thing. Uh, the last aviation thing I had was tools. So I brought tools oh, yeah. up. I brought tools up before and you got really fucking butt hurt. Uh, yeah. So explain to me why when I walk out on the flight line and there's an unsupervised toolbox and I take a one eighteenth Allen wrench and I chuck it down the flight line, everyone gets fucking real bent out of shape. Because we have to know where all of our tools are and they have to be accounted for. So at the beginning of every shift, you get someone from the offgoing shift and the oncoming shift. They go to every single toolbox, open every drawer, make sure that every single tool is in there. So all, all of our toolboxes have foam with little cutouts for each tool, like each individual socket, all that stuff. Make sure that everything is accounted for because if a tool is not there, you just have to automatically assume it is in the worst possible spot mm. on an aircraft that's going to cause flight control binding or go into an engine or do something bad. So Which is kind of like this. Was, uh, like, like you guys yeah. aren't allowed to use rags either, right? Like certain kind of rags. Oh yeah, no. We, yeah, we can use rags. So I remember, like, I, I when I was there at the air station, they had the ground to helo because they they were having some sort of turbulence, and they found a rag in one of the fucking engines or something like that. It, yeah. Like, 
I just sometimes you you gotta you know keep track of all your stuff and you know throw it away. But sometimes you know people will get distracted, go do something, and lose it. When I was a brand new third, we had our warrant officer banned us from you know using rags and like small nylon brushes because we just have a drawer of those are just open. You know you can grab one, use whatever you need to clean it, and people weren't keeping in track of their shit and mm-hmm. leaving it in places that shouldn't have been left. And he's like, Nope, you're going to check every single one of those out yeah. now. So we very quickly learned our lesson. Like this sucks. We yeah. should take better care of our shit. I know I've said the story before where I like to throw, I used to like to take the tools from the aviators and hide them. And once my DCC realized what I was doing, he got very upset and I didn't realize the cost of like the, the monetary value that it costs to ground a helo mid flight because of tools fucking missing. Yeah. Oh yeah. When when something goes missing, it's all hands on deck. Like yeah. every every plane is grounded, and you have to look everywhere for that. So what happens? Right, you're doing your morning tool checks. SAR alarm goes off. Can't find a wrench. Do you just say like fuck those people and don't move or what? Yeah. Plane's grounded. You can't. I mean, we'll look everywhere for that tool, and we will have all hands on deck doing a do an extremely thorough pre-flight of that plane. Be like, look, we've looked every single place on this aircraft. We know that this tool is not here. Okay, cool. Now the plane is back up. We can send it, and then we'll keep looking around for it. We actually did have a plane when I was night shift supervisor. We had to call them back from a SAR case because one guy came in and was like, hey, I was flying earlier. I lost my flashlight. I don't know where it is. I was flying we're like, which plane were you flying on? I was like, it was this one. He's like, okay, well, that one's on a SAR case right now. So myself and the chief had to go to the ops center and be like, hey, you need to call up that helicopter and tell them that they're grounded because we don't know where this flashlight is. Jesus. Which but, is never, never a fun That dude probably got no. fucked. Did I ever tell? No, because t- he, he owned up to it because he had already left for the day. He was gone. And he was sitting home. He's like, wait, I don't think I know where that is. And then, you know, took it upon himself, came back. He's like, hey. I was flying on that. I don't know where it is. We're like, all right, cool. That's that's exactly what you should do. Instead of like, oh, I don't know where it is. Fuck. Hope that shit will buff out. <laughs> like, did, no. he, he, took, he took ownership of it. I'm like, yep, that's what you do. Have I ever told you guys the story about how I ruined a FOD walk down? No. So can you explain? I don't believe it's been told. Before. Can, you, can you explain a FOD walk down real quick? Sure. FOD walk down. So uh, everyone from the hangar deck will get lined up, you know, shoulder to shoulder. We'll start at like one end of the ramp and you just walk from one end to the other end while you're looking down, looking for any FOD, which is foreign object debris or foreign object damage. And like any like missing like nuts, cotter pins, safety wire, so typical things that you find. Uh, you just look for things that could get thrown up and hit an aircraft and damage it. So like rocks, bubble gum wrappers. Yep. Anything that like yeah. it can go into an engine inlet, you know, fought out an engine rocks, so, you know, on the ramp here, there's a lot of them. So I ran the GSC shop, which is which was in charge of all the government vehicles for, you know, ASTs going to the pool and whatever. I had like I think it was like twenty five vehicles. And, you know, standard operating procedure was you you keep it fu- keep it fueled up and you clean it out and blah blah blah. Standard shit for the Coast Guard. And I had a, the ASTs just destroyed my fucking tr- vehicles over and over and over and over again. And I got no help from. <laughs> Sorry, mommy. And um, 
I just got fed up and no one was helping me. So I went and I had I had duty one night and I bought you know the confetti you can get that's like a half inch by half inch confetti. Yeah. That's that's metal and shiny. So at like four in the morning, I went out onto the tarmac and I threw a bunch of fucking confetti onto the tarmac. And the next day, um, the climate of the air station was like that I took a small child out onto the tarmac and I slit his throat and pulled his intestines out and dragged him around the tarmac. People were up fucking set, um, to say the least. I can't imagine why. And so it took the whole air station uh, about four hours to clean up all of the confetti. And my DCC pulls me into his office after we clean up. He goes, look. He goes, what's going on? I was like, I am having a small war with the ASTs. And he's like, whatever's going on needs to stop right now. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like, that's that's crazy. That's some old shit. I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, <laughs> he goes, I'm going over to talk to the AST senior chief right now. And I'm going to let him know that if they fuck with this shop, this will continue to happen. I go, oh, my God, you're on my side? He goes, yes. He goes, fuck those guys. So this DCC went over and talked to the senior chief, and he told me later, he goes, he goes, did you enjoy the FOD walk down this morning, senior? And he goes, what the fuck do you mean by that? He goes, if you continue to fuck with the ground support equipment shop, these things will continue to happen. And then he walked out. And then after that, I didn't have a single problem. It was fucking great. (laughs) Sounds like you were super lucky. Yeah. My whole career has been based on luck. Um, Like, remember I I told you the story? I slapped a cadet in the mouth. Luck. Got away with that. Lucky. You know, doing shit at the air station. Luck. My pursuit cases. Luck. Everything is all been luck and I've just been extremely blessed yeah. to not get caught. Doing Mine's been pretty doing. lucky too. I mean, I don't know many non-rates who can throw an SCBA at a warrant officer and get away with it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. So any final things for aviation that you wanted to talk about? Oh gosh. Did you want to fart in your hand and like smell it real quick and get smell some motivation it? and like, <laughs> Oh fuck. Yeah. No, no, they're just, they're just, they're just, they're just not on point today. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm going to tell a, a, a story that um, is very, um, it's not personal, but it's very, it, I, it's, I've, I've interacted with this um, on a low level and it's very, very fucking cool and I like it and uh, it's going to sound cheesy and I can't guarantee I'm not going to choke up because I'm a very emotional person, but I'm going to fucking do my best. All right. Why are you squinting like that? I'm an emotional motherfucker. Oh, I remember when you shut down in birthing for those couple days. I cried one time, okay? <laughs> People don't forget. <laughs> People don't forget. Well, I need to use the head, but I don't want you to think that I'm trying to ignore your story. You know, since, I do really want to hear that. I since do really want you're to going to the head, I'm going to go to the head. What's up, everybody? It's the Disgruntled Sailor here, and I just wanted to take a minute to talk about one of our sponsors, Oak and Iron Coffee. Oak and Iron was founded to honor America's rich nautical history, along with the history of the Coast Guard. Every member of their team has either served in the Coast Guard or a veteran who grew up on the water. They are putting out some amazing coffee. They offer whole bean or ground coffee, along with K-cups, tumblers, and stickers. They can even do unit orders if needed. 
One of the best things about the company is that a portion of all the proceeds goes to support CGMA. So every time you buy from them, you're essentially helping your fellow Coasties who need it the most. Go check them out on Instagram at Oak and Iron Coffee or on the web at oakandironcoffee.com and tell them the disgruntled sailor sent you. Ha, I beat them back. Boat operators pee faster than aviators. They probably sit to pee. Um, but while I was in the head, I, I remembered something. So <laughs> my wife has this decoration. It's like a square box. It said, live life in full bloom. You know, that's like a decoration. It's like a live, laugh, love or whatever kind of fucking thing. And it's <laughs> I can hear the toilet and it, it says live life in full bloom. And then it's surrounded by six fake plants. <laughs> yes. He said he probably sit to pee. No, I was standing. Standing. <laughs> okay. All right. I only sit to pee at night, dog. <laughs> I sit to pee when I'm drunk. <laughs> Same. Or in a transgender bathroom. All right. So um this one's gonna this one's gonna sound long winded, but there's a lot to cover. I know you like um Um, but so just give me a fucking second. All right. So do you guys know who Luis Bhutan is? No. no. All right. The Coast Guard classifies her as a national treasure. All right. Okay. Um, she is also known as the Coast Guard lady. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're talking about now. Didn't they just release yep. an all coast about her passing away recently? Yes, so we're, we're we're a little bit behind on uh, current events. Um, so <clears throat> I'm going to go over her story, her life story, and uh, what actually happened to her. Uh, it's a pretty cool fucking story, so uh, buckle the fuck up and be polite. Um, so I, it's her first name is spelled L-O-I-S, which is I think is Lewis or Lois. Uh, her last I think it's Lois. And her last name is yeah, B-O-U-T-O-N. I think that's Botan or Bhutan. I don't know the vernacular. I'm sorry. Um, so Lois Bhutan was affectionately and widely known as the Coast Guard Lady. Uh, she was laid to her final rest place with full military honors on February 7th, 2022. Uh, she was and is still considered the Coast Guard's, quote, national treasure. This is coming from the Coast Guard website, too. Um, so do you know how old she was when she passed away? Wasn't she like 101 or something like that? She was 102 years old. All right. I would have said the nineties, but yeah, 102 years old. Um, she was still writing letters up until she passed away, which is what made her, you know, a famous, um, so, uh, she started writing letters in in the 1970s, but, and that's after serving, um, Sorry, I heard there was something weird going on. Uh, that was after serving 30 years in the Coast Guard herself as a radio uh, in the early 1970s, 30 years after serving in the Coast Guard as a radio technician during World War II. So she was a radio operator in World War II. Um, towards the end of the war, she fell in love with another Coastie. Uh, they got married, and she became a teacher, and she was a teacher for 30 years. Uh, after she, uh, 
you know, retired from being a teacher, she started, uh, she picked up a pen and paper, started writing shit. Um, she started writing handwritten notes filled with words of encouragement, hope, uh, with the intent to make every person she wrote her friend. Um, the, one of those recipients was the eighth master chief petty officer of the coast guard, Vince Patton. All right. Uh, yeah. So it just says Vincent Patton in my notes. So shut the fuck up. Vincent Patton, um, he's the third. That, that's the doctor, Vincent Patton. Shut the fuck up. Sh- shut, the, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Uh, so, quote, it was somewhere around Christmas time in 1986 when the XO, the executive officer, handed me a letter and asked me to answer it, uh, Patton said. At the time, uh, Patton was the chief yeoman underway during a long five-month Alaska patrol away from his family feeling down about himself. Um, her, following, her flowing messages of holiday cheer lifted him up before he even knew who she was. Uh, Pat responded later to her letter, having no idea he'd just begun a friendship that would change his life. And he said, quote, fast forward maybe 10 years, and I'm, so, Patton gets all the way to Command Master Chief of Atlantic Area, right? So that's a pretty prestigious spot, right? Mm -hmm. And this lady walks up to him at a change of command ceremony in Alabama with the biggest smile on her face and said, um, And he said, smiling with the memory of meeting Bhutan in person for the first time. So he was just ecstatic to just meet her for the first time. Um, So uh, later on at the unit, Patton asked, he goes, he asked all the ghosties to uh, raise their hand if they have heard of the Coast Guard lady. Uh, They said, oh, yeah, we get Christmas cards and those from her all the time. um, And at that point, Patton kind of decided he was going to be her uh, her cheerleader uh, for the most part. you talk about someone who really uplifted morale with letters and just cheery personality was just her, her, her personality. You know, you meet one of those people that just never sad, never down and just always fucking upbeat. That was this lady. Um, it was estimated that she wrote over a thousand letters in her time. Or, I'm sorry. A hundred, a hundred thousand, a hundred oh, thousand, a wow. hundred thousand letters. That's a lot. That's a lot of writing. Yeah. So, um, what was her reaction? So uh, after that, Patton uh, was named the eighth Master Chief Pegasus of the Coast Guard. Um, and it, it says, like, tickled pink, he laughed. By then, she definitely wanted to show all the things I w- she wanted to know all the things I was up to and what I was doing. Um, and during uh, the, uh, uh, she became very, very, so she's already corresponding with Master Chief uh, Petty Officer of the Coast Guard. Right. So Vincent Pat, she's already like corresponding with this dude on the regular. Right. And also while she's doing that, she also befriends Alex Haley. You guys remember who Alex Haley was? Yeah. Yeah. So she befriends Alex Haley. All right. So when she heard the news of the Navy ship, uh, the Coast Guard requiring. So Alex Haley is an old uh, Navy salvage ship that was reclaimed by the Coast Guard. Uh, and uh, turned into a Coast Guard cutter, was named the Haley. She was super ecstatic. Um, Stationing Kodiak. Correct. So it's one of a kind. It's got its own class, actually. Um, so this is this is Patton talking again. I walked into the commandant's office to share the latest letter and request with him, uh, Patton said, but Baton had already gotten to the top leader, writing him a letter of his own with the request, uh, and they, they both chuckled. So like... The Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard gets a letter from Luis Bouton saying, we need to make, you know, this guy special. And the commandant also is getting a second thing. And they both go in together at the same time to be like, hey, you want to talk about Alex Haley? 
and they're both like, "Oh my god, we're both about to talk about Alex Haley." And this we lady kind of like, friends. "Do we just come be best friends?" And it was great. And she wrote him like, um, it says later on in the article, she wrote the commandant like a whole bunch saying like, "Alex Haley's a shit. Do something. Do something." Um, she got her wish. So, commissioned in 1999, home board in Kodak, Alaska. Um, the ha- Alex Haley, uh, the Coast Guards was named after the Coast Guard's first chief journalist and also its first black petty officer. So it's fucking February. So tied that in. Um, <laughs> well done. Well done. So he served for 20 years before becoming a Pulitzer Prize winning author of the, the book Roots, uh, the saga of an American family, which he did a couple other books, but Roots was turned into a movie. Oprah was in it. It was a whole fucking to do. Uh, good book, good movie. Um, and he wrote it. So like, a Coast Guard, the first black chief, first African-American, whatever the fuck you want to say, first black chief gets a ship named after him and also wrote a book for Roots that was turned into a movie by Oprah. So this dude's just killing it, right? You didn't know didn't that? Didn't they start the PA no. rate just because of him? They did. They sure did. Was he still in when they did that, or was that, was that after? I don't know the answer to that. Um... So Bhutan had uh, this like commanding respect that you just could say no to, uh, but she was also like sweet and like she had like a they said she had like a childlike voice like, which made you say like whatever you want okay you can have it and that was Master Chief of the Coast Guard Patton saying like this lady could just tell people to do shit and she'd be like and they'd be like okay okay you got me, um, and then you know not long ago. Uh, the Coast Guard lady sat down with an interview for the Coast Guard Museum, and Patton was with her. Uh, she was asked why she wrote all the letters all over those years, uh, and if it was some sort of mission. She just said um, she wrote the letters with the intent of turning every acquaintance into a friend. She just wanted to – she was just a genuine good fucking lady, and she was just like – I picture her as like my grandma that just – you know, not not my grandma. My grandma's a little – not abrasive, but she's like me, but an old woman, you know. Gross. Um, <laughs> You better fucking watch your goddamn tone. <laughs> Sandy will get you, dog. Um, you know, my grandmother. You as a woman. My grandmother was ma- married to a fucking man named Buster, and he was given that name because he was a fighter. So, like, watch your fucking tone. Uh, anyway, uh, she saw writing as a lost art, which was going away with technology, with like email and shit, and felt like uh, letter writing really showed how much you cared. You know, like, you know, I get, I get tons of emails a day. I when I get something in the mail with my name on it, it's you know it's a big to do. And like she was just kind of, it builds happiness. She said, um, so with mass. So there was a picture that was posted with with the S- S- District Seven Master Chief Petty Officer, with the I'm sorry, not District, with the Seventh Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, Eric Trent, the Eighth Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, Vincent Padden, and the Thirteenth and Current Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, Jason Van Vander Hayden you know, captain of the fucking hamster. Um, they celebrated her hundredth birthday together. So all these bad motherfuckers got together and celebrated her hundredth one zero zero birthday. Right. Um, but they ended up giving her a couple surprises. She wasn't expecting. Um, she was named an honorary master chief. Right. Oh, that's rad. I mean, those right? three dudes alone, that's probably a hundred years worth of service right there. Oh my God. Easy. Three, I mean, three McPogs. Yeah. Uh, they gave her an honorary match chief rank, right? So also, in addition to that, here's some other things she was given. She was given honorary auxiliary flotilla commodore. 
She was also given an honorary citizenship for Coast for uh, Gr- Grand Haven, Michigan, Coast Guard City Central. You know, she also got two key two keys to the city of Rogers, and she was also given her own challenge coin that was designed by the Coast Guard. That's uh, right, right? Uh, and it was all given. It was all given by Matt uh, Chief Vander Hayden, um, which is the current thirteenth Master Chief Pegasus of the Coast Guard. And after giving after giving her the honorary title of Master Chief, she looks up at them and goes, "What's my number and where do I rank on the list?" <laughs> baller, like a fucking baller. She's like, "Oh, you're gonna make me Master Chief? Where do I fall in rank? I need to know who is below me, you know, straight up." <laughs> and um, I guess everyone thought that was really funny, and she was just something else. And you know, um, she didn't do it for recognition or awards. She just she liked being the Coast Guard lady more than anything else. She was just happy to be, you know, a part of something and, you know, make a difference. And she really, really liked that. Uh, and it, if obviously everyone has a grandmother, you look at the pictures of these lady. She is a grandma. She like, you know, she looks like a grandma. You go to her house and she's going to offer you food and like, you know, yeah, she all looks kinds like of somebody just wants to take care of you. Yes. Um, so at, she got... When she eventually passed away at the age of 102, she was given full military honors. I'm talking, you know, the honor guard was there. Pallbearers were there. Flag draped over the cock, uh, uh, casket. She was even given a 21-gun salute, right? I mean, she's a master chief. Yeah, so. She's the fucking right. master chief. Um, so it says the church pews at her service were filled with the sea of Coast Guard dress blues as coasted from all corners of the country came to honor Bhutan's legacy. Uh, her loss was felt deeply and expressed by stories of love, laughter, and impact shared over smiles and tears. Um, later, as the gunshots echoed over the snow through the mournful taps being played, the sun shone on the American flag folded by an all-female honor guard she had requested. So she requested an all-female honor guard. Um, and actually, the last part is just hours before her passing, Bhutan called Match she pay out to the Coast Guard Patton for one last phone call. I mean, it says it literally says hours, like four hours. Despite knowing uh, she was at the end of her life, she still had the energy to implore him not to be sad and then demand he not dwell on her passing. She asked me to continue to live her legacy of happiness. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's cool. That's pretty awesome. Right? Yeah. So that's the Coast Guard lady. That is uh, the true definition of why most of us enlist. Um, it's for that right there. She didn't do it for any particular reason. It was her duty, and she just wanted to make you know people feel make good, people smile. Yeah. make people smile, and you know to have such an impact over such a long period of time over such you know some great leaders. It's just astronomical and unfathomable to to you know, quantify how many people she impacted, you know, on such a small basis, but just by taking a pen and paper and writing a fucking letter and going, hope everything's okay. You're doing the Lord's business. Keep up the good work. Love you. And just keep fucking doing it. You know, sounds to me like the type of lady, like, why'd you do it? Uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. Seemed like just the cause. right thing to do. Just cause I wanted to do it. Um, But yeah, that, it, that story kind of, you know, teared me up a little bit. It's, it's an emotional story and, you know, it tugs on the strings of what I had of when I got in and why I did it. You know, um, you watch those YouTube videos of people pulling people out of the surf and all that shit. And 
You know, I wanted to do it because I wanted the awards and I wanted to be able to tell people I saved people. And, you know, you look at people like her that were just, they were just here just to make an impact. And that's fucking it. It was really cool. But anyway, now that I've said some serious shit, we're going to go on to some funny, heinous things. Um, Either of you have any final thoughts before I go on with mine? Oh, I've got one of these. Oh, you do? Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. I told you, I wasn't going to come unprepared. Let her rip, Tater Chip. All right. So what What would what do you think, What would you consider a submarine? Like, what is the point of a submarine? To hide underwater and attack other ships. So it's, it's, it's a, a giant vessel so people can yeah. survive underwater. It's just so, a scuba diving ship. So when you think about wait, it, wait, preg- wait, wait, are you going to say a pregnant woman is a submarine? <sighs> You've ruined the joke. <laughs> yeah, a pregnant woman swimming is like a human submarine. I've been to yeah. all corners of the internet, my friend. Um, But good one, though. I was going to use that one the other day. I chose not to, but, you know, still good. I like it. Thank you for the effort. All right. Mm, I tried. I'm going to go over some dinosaur stuff. Ooh. Oh. Before that one, one final thought. It's not a funny thing. Just an interesting final thought question. If someone made a movie about your life, who would you want to narrate that movie? Sam Elliott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I'm torn between Sam Elliott or James Earl Jones. Mm. Or... Those two, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I'm trying to think about it, and I feel like everybody's like default answer is like Morgan Freeman. That was the that was the third one that I was gonna go for. Yeah, but I don't I don't know who I would pick. Sam Elliott would be a really good one though. I just want to meet Sam Elliott so he'll call me a dude. <laughs> call you the dude. Um, all right. Um, hold on. One fucking second. One. Oh, shit, fuck. Two. We've given you a second. Hold on. You can edit this out. Hold on. <laughs> I gotta fucking find it. I know it's on here somewhere. Oh no, we might not get your dinosaur stories. Shut, shut the fuck up. Um, uh, no, 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 no. That's not it. God damn it! Where's my time? Where's my dinosaur thingy? God dang it! Where'd my Speaking dinosaur dinosaurs. thing go? Did you see the new trailer for oh, the, just the last Jurassic World? Yeah, dropped her in the Super Bowl. It's it's bringing all it's bringing all the old school characters back. I'll go see it. You lost it, didn't you? What was the T Rex after he went to the gym? I don't know. Dinosaur. Oh Jesus Christ. Oh. I like it. You like, like it? it? You like it? I like All right. That. Uh, 
Well, I'm gonna use that more. at work tomorrow. <laughs> that's that's such a rat snitch thing to say. <laughs> I I love dad jokes. All right, so listen. If I cut my foot off, and like like at the knee, and I swing it around and I hit you in the fucking head, am I kicking you or am I hitting you? You can't. Okay, first of all, you can't cut your fucking foot off at the knee. Let's that's say I cut I cut my leg off at the knee, and I okay. hit you with my foot. Am I hitting you or am I kicking you? Are you swinging it in your arms? Yeah. You're you're hitting us then. But my foot is the one that's touching you, so that's a kick. But it's propelled by your arm, not your leg. When I rotate to kick, my arms are involved, but it's but still a kick. you don't hit me with your arm? I'm hitting you with my the foot. So the argument is you're hitting someone with your foot, but it's the foot hitting, so is that a kick? Mm, that's, a, that's a good one. Nah, you hit me. Maybe. It's like is a hot dog a sandwich thing. A hot dog's a sandwich. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, you ready for my next one? It's a ravioli. Correct. Correct. Ready for my next one? Yeah. Let's do it. Why is eating ass not called butthead? <laughs> <laughs> Boop sweat called humidities. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, right. I know what you're saying. All right. Ready for my next one? Yeah, go some butthead. I'm going outside to get my butthead. All right. Question for you Would you rather sit down with your parents and watch every sexual interaction you've ever had, or would you rather watch the video of your parents conceiving you? I've heard this one. I heard it on TikTok uh, the other day, actually. I mean, probably the video of my parents can see me because that would take way less time. No. Really? I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I mean, it's not like I've had a lot of sex, but it's more than just the one time. And sitting through that with my parents would be super awkward. It's going to be awkward either way. Oh, yeah. But, I would know, rather, but you're, watching you're the video of your parents, it's a shorter amount of time you're talking about watching like sex scenes and movies and stuff with your parents no i'm saying like a wizard appears a genie appears and he goes all right you you're sitting there with both of your parents your mom and your dad and the genie goes look i'm gonna kill you both if you have two options you can either watch the video of you being conceived or you can sit with your parents and watch every sexual encounter you've ever had oh yeah yeah only watching one sexual encounter with the parents yeah now i think it would be funny if my parents <laughs> saw me, some of the shit I've like, done. Dad, dad, watch this move. Funny. Watch this move. Watch this move. Yeah. Yeah, watch shut up, dad. You might, you might learn something, yeah. dad. You see this magic marker I pulled out and wrote over this chick's ass with? Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? All right. So my last two are, I saw this video. It was, um, he pretty much says, Hey, there's two guys talking. He goes, we need to have more racial diversity across jobs. He goes, we need to have, um, regardless of, you know, he just, he pretty much says, regardless of the occupation or the, whatever it is, we need to have more racial diversity in your, in your field. And he goes, (laughs) so you're saying there needs to be diversity. The other guy goes, so there needs to be diversity 
a little bit of each ethnicity in each job. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, so you're saying you want to fire 80% of the NBA? He goes, no, 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 that's based on skill. He's like, well, that's what you just fucking said. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're getting at, yeah. yeah. You, want me to, you, want to, you want me to play it for you real quick and see if you can hear it? Yeah. Diverse how? Well, for starters, there should be more racial balance across all industries. So you're saying you want to fire most of the players that make up the NBA? That's that's different. They have those jobs based on skill. So shouldn't all industries just hire based on skill? Are you insane? I don't know anymore. So did you hear? Were you able to hear that? Yeah, I was, and and I do think you should hire. Like, if I'm a business owner, right? Mm-hmm. I'm hiring based solely off skill. Like, if you can so, do my job. And you can do it better than this dude. I don't care what race you are. Yes, but it, it it does come up. I have several family members looking for jobs right now. And based on their ethnicity, they are getting disqualified for jobs because of their ethnicity. No, I mean, I, I understand it comes up. I'm just saying. I mean, I know it comes up. I know. I'm just saying. Um, and, like, the last thing, like, we've been talking about... Oh, fuck. Uh, shut up. Shut the fuck up. Sorry. Sorry. Your phone's not voice activated. Shut the fuck up. Pornography, turn off. So it pretty much says, like, um, we've been talking about, like, equality and fairness and all that shit. And, like, it was like someone was talking to another guy, and he was, like, talking about, you know, gender and race equality. and and you know, all these other things that go along with that. And they were talking about um, a bunch of other shit and like free speech and things like that. And and the guy just goes, how arrogant of you to think that you deserve to go through life with no one ever saying anything you don't agree with, you know, and that's what our cancel culture is right now. Like how arrogant do you have to be to think that you can go your entire life without anyone saying anything you disagree with. Like the, the foundation of the our country, the first, the first rule, say whatever you want. That's the first rule. And now that we're to where we are in 2022 with current culture and everything, everyone's getting canceled and, you know, quote canceled, you know, Joe Rogan will be Goldberg, you know, both sides of the fucking spectrum. Dr. Seuss. Like Dr. Seuss, we talked about the last episode with the mouse, the mouse books, you know, like, could you imagine, you know, thinking that you're, you were, sorry, mommy. So it's because these people didn't get hit in the mouth growing up. Can confirm. Can confirm. Um, you know, I, I was, I wasn't, I didn't get hit. But there was, you know, times where it came, it went fucking went down, you know, like I, I told my mom one time, I told Sandy, I was going to call child protection services on her because she was fucking being mean. And I went to my grandfather's house. And I'm, you know, I, I know I've told the story before he I'm bigger than I'm way bigger than he is. He picked me up off the fucking ground and he hit me with one of those old rotary phones. He's like, it's fucking ringing. Go ahead. 
you know. Was it ringing because he hit you with it, or because you know when you hang <laughs> up, them motherfuckers like you, you, you meant it no, back it, then. Little yeah, it was. It, it was one of those old rotary phones. It was in his garage. He he he's like, hey, come out in the garage for a second. And he's like, you ever fucking, you know? He he gave it to me, you know, and you know I was his grandson, you know, and we were really close. But he was like, you fucking cross my daughter like that again. We're gonna have fucking words. And I just think it's ridiculous that people think they can, you know, go through life and expect to never hear anything that they don't like. I don't like that. You know, like, hey, Trump's president. Don't like. Eh! You know, I just I think it's a little absurd. Like step take a step back and, wa- and just look at yourself and see that, like, you know, you're getting angry over words. Words don't hurt you. We all learned back in the day. Sticks and stones. And people are just so, like, the balls on people to just go, I don't like that. Don't ever say that again. How dare you? And I think that's fucking ridiculous. And it happens in the Coast Guard a lot. Where you just can't say that. You you can't say that. You know, it happens doing boat crew. It happens throughout all all types of industry. It's not just us. It happens. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's, I, it's the fucking generation of everybody gets a trophy. I, I remember I remember being on a check ride and we had a female who was maybe a hundred pounds. Maybe a hundred pounds. And Oscar was overboard for a check ride. She could not lift Oscar on board. No matter what she did, you know, you could push down, pull up, push down, pull up, get him on board, just couldn't get him on board. And they failed her. They failed her. But she I failed goes, her too. She goes, I That's- wouldn't want her on my like not, not saying wait, she's not wait. a decent person. She claimed that that was sexist because she was a female, and they have females have different body structures, and they can't physically do that. <laughs> and no, fuck that. That's you can't say you can't say that. That's sexist. You no, stop it. You can't. You, nope, you're you can't do that. Position. Well, you're put in a fucking position where you you could be pulling anybody out of the water. A, a dog, a fucking baby. Uh, uh, a woman, a man, doesn't fucking matter. Like, if you're qualified on that ship, everybody on that on that platform trusts you to be able to perform your fucking job. And if you can't perform it, I'd fail your ass too. I don't care if you're a woman or a, the strongest fucking dude in the world. If you I'm fucking just, cramp up and can't pull that person in, I'll fail your ass. I'm just saying it. It. If I've literally seen it come up where it's, hey, you have to pull this dude on board. That's sexist. I shouldn't have to be able to do that. And it went. Pretty fucking far. She almost won. And it's just like. But she didn't. But she didn't. Uh, because the boat volume says a certain thing. The boat crew PQS says a certain thing. and But the point is that where someone can have that platform to say things like that and just go, I don't like that. Stop saying it. And we have to go, I'm sorry. It's, it's just, it's, I'm beside myself. Yeah, no, like. There are tons of women in my job that are way better at my fucking job than I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that goes across every way. Like, I don't care what you are or who you claim to be. If you can do the job, fucking do the job. If you can't, back up and punt. Yeah. But that was my last thing. I just, I just thought it was interesting that someone pointed out, like, you know, Everyone's everyone's okay with everyone saying whatever they want now, as long as it's okay with them. But to just like it, it, it is kind of arrogant to say, 
you can't say that. I don't like that. That's not how the First Amendment works. You know, it's not hate speech. It's not this. It's not that. It's I'm allowed to say whatever I want because that's the way the Constitution is written. I don't know. Just just an interesting point that I I brought up. When I was when I was a third class, you know, you know, like when I'm fuck, we still do it. We call people. You call me fat all the time, right? We always pick on everybody. This civilian at my job overheard this other uh, third class like call me fat or something like that and I was giving him shit right back and she fucking reported it bro like mm-hmm. all the way up the chain and they called me in the office and was asking me about it and I was like did, did, did you not hear the shit that I said to him right immediately after it like like, this is bullshit. Like, I'm not offended by this. That's someone interjecting themselves where they shouldn't have been. Yeah. Like, Correct. Like, mind your fucking business. Stay in your lane. No. But, anyway, that was my last thing. Okay. Huh. Is that it? Are we done? I'm done. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's been fun. Later.